When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the confetti has just dropped. We were there in Houston. It was awesome. We were doing snow angels in the confetti like good professionals. We're glad to have you all here. So with that confetti just dropped on Michigan as the new national champions, what's the most natural thing to do? Look ahead to next season and this time next year and talk about who has a chance to win it all in the new era of the college football 12-team playoff era. Welcome into the hard count. It is Wednesday. I believe it is January 10th, 2024, the last one on the face of this planet. We're glad to have y'all here. We told y'all this would happen now, and y'all knew this, that had been dialed in for a while here. But there's a lot of, I guess, uh, volume being turned down across the college football landscape. A lot of shows that say, hey, thanks so much for a great season. We will get back to y'all in August. That's that's not this show. Okay, We understand college football is a year-round sport. That's why we're fortunate enough to have this job. So with that being said, we got a lot more to talk about. Like I just said, talking about contenders, which we got a question from uh, from y'all, which we appreciate y'all being dialed in on the social channels at J.D. Pakel, the best place to interact with this show as we move into the winter and the spring and really all year long. But that's a great spot we're going to draw from, I think, quite a bit for content here in the near future. Uh, y'all been keeping tabs on what's going on at Auburn? It felt like it kind of flew under the radar with everything around the national championship. But Hugh Freeze kind of looked around his uh, his coaching staff and said, listen, I'm the captain now. When it comes to the offensive side of the ball, Philip Montgomery, no longer the OC. That was established, I believe it was last week. But it has come to light and can come to be pretty clear. Uh, he's calling plays. So we'll kind of take a look at what that means for Auburn, take a look at how we feel about that for Hugh Freeze. And uh, also, Ron Roberts, it sounds like, will not be the DC for Auburn next year as well. So we got a good question uh, on that as well. Some other things with uh, the 12-team playoff, some things that pertains to the transfer portal. Uh, I also want to start a new series here for us together as we move into this part of the year. Uh, When it comes to the end of the college football season, teams across the country will sit down, player and coach, and have what's called an exit meeting. And essentially, the exit meeting is your last conversation with your position coach or the head coach, and you get a gauge for where you stand within that program and where you stand going forward into the offseason and what you need to do to improve. So I figured, hey, we're kind of a program of our own here. I want to do some uh, some exit meetings. We're not going to call it exit meetings because that sounds like people are leaving a place. We're going to do some hard count meetings here, and I want to start today in Athens, Georgia, with, for my money, the best coach in college football right now. That is Kirby Smart. Also, y'all, we we just got back from Houston. Some of us this morning, Trey Anity producing this morning, he got back this morning with his flight being canceled. And uh, I got back last night. We had a lot of wind getting out of there. Uh, so that delayed a lot of flights. But the bottom line is we're glad to have y'all here. We got a lot to unpack here. We can't waste too much more time. I want to start with some things that y'all have been getting at us for, uh, which I put out a tweet this morning on my Twitter page at JD Pacal and asked y'all when it comes to some things that the people of the program are saying. We hold that obviously very, very near and dear to our hearts. So I want to start right there with uh, some sneaky contenders. 
had Colton Fetter ask me, who are some teams basically that you're keeping an eye on that maybe aren't the teams that are going to win the conference or are going to, you know, have that that auto bid, but some teams that might, you know, find their way in the back door, be one of those at-large bids. We go to 12 teams next year. Who has a chance to really make some noise? This is a team we've been high on for a while here. We've said this many times. We think Ole Miss is going to be a wagon next year. And it's twofold. One, Lane Kiffin is, you know, more or less having a pretty large hand in what goes on there offensively. So as long as that's the case, I'm going to go ahead and pencil them in for right around 30-plus points a game in 2024. Okay, I don't think that's a, that's a stretch. Also, look at Jackson Dart. I thought he really got cooking in the second year of that scheme. The RPO thing fit him like a glove after he got some more time in that system. He took a huge jump from year one to year two. You have a bunch of weapons from Trey Harris to Juice Wells. I understand Quinshawn Judkins not toting the rock for you there anymore. He's gone to Columbus. I still feel really good about that offense. So in that sense, they can win shootouts. Now, the big part of this, and y'all that have watched this show for any length of time, you, you know how we feel about this. Um, they're going to be really good in the trenches. Going to be really good in the trenches. Uh, Walter Nolan, uh, Tyler Barron, Prince Lee, Uman Mielin. That side of the football for them, I thought was a governor, given the last couple of seasons, especially this past season. that They weren't bad, but they weren't great. Allowed four yards of carry on the ground. That's no longer the governor. They are no longer going to show up and get pushed around by an Alabama or a Georgia. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying they have surpassed them or gotten on their level, but I think from a talent and personnel perspective in the trenches, they are in that same vicinity. They can at least give something back to you if you're one of those programs going toe-to-toe, and that's what it takes to win in the SEC. So if you're Ole Miss, the other part of this, the reason why I think they could be a problem, who wanted to play Ole Miss at the end of the year this year? I don't think anybody wanted to see them in a 12-team playoff format by how hot they were this past season. And also, with this new playoff format, what had kept them from getting into the playoff was, okay, well, we got to get past Bama, we got to get past LSU, we got to get past Georgia to win the SEC and to be in that 14-team playoff. You can now drop, I would say, two of those games and still find your way in the dance. Now, the path is a little bit more difficult, but by nature of what this prompt is, sneaky contenders... I think Ole Miss is absolutely a team to watch. So let me let me know what y'all think about that. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to this channel right here. We talk college football again every single day, live three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Want y'all dialed in here. So we appreciate y'all being locked in. Now, another team we got to talk about here as the tectonic plates shift across the college football landscape. Uh, they were previously in the Pac-12. Rest in peace. Miss you, Pac-12. They're going to be in the Big 12, and that is the Utah Utes. And for Utah, they got Cam Rising coming back for his 27th year playing college football. God bless him. He's got some sweet flow. He's going to be a doctor by the time he finishes school, and we love him for that. Go ahead, man. Rumble, young man, rumble. Like, for me, and this is a a sidebar, uh, if you can play college football for 20 years, play college football for 20 years. You got the rest of your life to work. You got the rest of your life to do something professionally. If you can play ball and and go to school for free while doing it, y'all do that. Okay, so that's my soapbox. I'll get off that now. Going back to Utah, they got an experienced quarterback in Cam Rising. And you can't help but feel, man, Kyle Whittingham coached football teams at Utah have looked the same way for the last 10 years. Great up front, tough in the, in the trenches, and they're, they're very physical. That uh, They don't flinch in, in the, you know, the fourth quarter. The culture is so strong, and the identity of that team is so strong from year to year. The personnel, to me, almost becomes 1B. I didn't say secondary, but it does become 1B. And with the quarterback running the show, and with no Oklahoma or Texas in the Big 12, I don't see a reason why Utah can't compete 
not just for the Big 12, which I suppose would kind of make them a not-so-sneaky contender, but I think they're going to be a team that's definitely in the mix when you come to this you know, 12-team playoff format. I don't think the experience of Cam Rising should be overlooked. I truly don't. I mean, we saw that in the national title game this year. Two teams that had played a lot of football, veteran roster in Washington, veteran quarterback in Michael Penix Jr., same deal with Michigan. J.J. McCarthy played in a lot of big stages. Michigan, a, a very adult team across the board in terms of the upperclassmen that had played for them. So when it comes to Utah, I love the way they're built. I love their identity, and I love their maturity. They're a team to watch when it comes to this 12-team format. Now, here's one that's going to kind of get the party going a little bit here. How about Tennessee? Just sit with that for a second. Let it, let it kind of marinate. Tennessee, I think, was such a hot team coming into this season. Why? Because of Hendon Hooker, because of what that offense did, because of how they were just scheming it up so effectively and the way that Josh Heupel had elevated that thing. They had just beat Alabama the year before. You had people in Knoxville saying, okay, hey, Joe Milton, his tools now. Maybe we just kind of pick up where we left off. If the secondary gets a little bit better. We find ourselves in Atlanta. And it didn't go how you would have hoped it would go. It didn't go perfectly this year. I think there was probably... Some missed expectations on Joe Milton. I didn't say underperformances. I said some mixed expectations now on Joe Milton. But the thing for me is we've seen what that offense is supposed to do when you have a capable quarterback. I did not say Joe Milton is incapable, but I do think there were some things that limited you for what you wanted to do offensively. Enter into the fray. A man whose jersey I expect to be extremely high selling here in Knoxville. That is number eight, Nico Iamaliava, the number one player in the class of 2023 for us here at On3. I'm just saying, I don't think we know what he is yet. And I was the first one saying, hey, be slow to give him the Heisman Trophy from what he did in the bowl game. I think that's still true. I think that's still fair. But I go back to this thought, how good can he be? How good can he be? Take it a step further. How good can this offense be with a guy who has all the tools and all the ability physically at quarterback to make the intermediate throws, to make the deep throws. Because Joe Milton had the tools. I don't know that he was consistent. Nico, I think, could be the same way. He has all the tools, and his consistency factor, maybe it's higher. That's all I'm saying. So we've seen what the hypo offense is supposed to do. We've seen them compete at the highest level with the right guy playing quarterback. I think Tennessee could be a wagon when it comes to this 12-team playoff. And again, just what we said, you don't have to win all the games to get in the dance now. A 10-2 SEC team will be in. Mark my words. The schedule's tough for Tennessee, just to be clear, but I, I think they have a very real chance to make some noise if Nico is as advertised and is able to kind of come along pretty quickly. Heck, keep an eye on, keep an eye on, on uh, Tennessee if they go 9-3 because I think the roster will be, uh, or not the roster, rather, the schedule will be so difficult to where you may see a team sneak in there with a 9-3 and three record in the SEC and Big, and Big Ten, respectively. Uh, this was a team I wasn't even sure I wanted to put on here. And I'm not sure I even want to go too deeply in, in terms of talking about them. But I look at the ACC. <clears throat> it just feels so wide open to me. Because Clemson isn't Clemson anymore. Florida State, they have to reload a lot of different pieces. Who knows what Miami is? So I'm going to talk about two of those three teams I just mentioned, man. Like, what about Clemson? Like, because Clemson is an ultimate back-against-the-wall mode. It feels like they've been back-against-the-wall for a little bit here. But, like, there's no more excuses if you're Clemson in terms of what you haven't done with Dabo Sweeney the last couple of seasons. Right? First, it was DJU's fault. Turns out this past year, maybe it wasn't DJU's fault as much as some people thought. And then it's, well, okay, give K. Klubnik some time. Okay, well, we got to get our, 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 you know, our skill players right. Like, I'm at the point now where, given the under 
achieving of the last couple of years, I think there's a real sense of urgency and there's, and there's a real hunger in Clemson, South Carolina, and the roster is still solid. I'm just curious how they're constructed, if that'll be good enough to win the ACC ultimately, which I think would make them a sneaky contender in that sense. Now, here's the major, major caveat I want to put on this as it pertains to the next team we're talking about here. With how open the ACC is and how young of talent Miami has, I think they have a chance to make some noise. Now, I'm probably in the minority in that department, but that's fine. If they land Talia Tagovailoa, which you would fully expect them to be in the market for him if he does get a waiver and is able to have another year and, and you know they go and get him via the transfer portal, that would, I think, change the entire complexion of how we view Miami. Because I still think that the Shannon Dawson offense has some juice. I still think we saw glimpses of it a season ago with Tyler Van Dyke when he was on his P's and Q's. Now, that didn't last the duration of the season. The bottom line here is I don't think we've seen their full form yet. It sounds like they missed on Cam Ward. I mean, well, we know they missed on Cam Ward, brought him in for a visit. If you land a quarterback of Tia, uh, Talia Tagovailoa's caliber and get the, the, the Tagovailoa brothers both in Miami, man, you got Brother Tua up the street playing for the Dolphins. You got Talia and Coral Gables. Like, I just think that would be a match made in heaven. And I think Miami would be a force in the ACC and uh, could be a force when it comes to that, that 12-team playoff. In terms of force, I mean, they would be sneaky. I think they'd find their way in the dance. So keep an eye on those teams. I think those are all teams to watch. But a great question from our guy, Colton. Uh, again, get at me on Twitter and Instagram, at J.D. Pacquiao, if you want to contribute to the conversation. Another great, another great question. <coughs> Excuse me. A little, uh, little cough break there. Um, another great question we got from our guy, Turf Surfer, friend of the program. He says, will teams retain more players or will this carousel continue? Turf Surfer obviously is referring to the transfer portal. And here's how I feel about this. I think that as long as the portal stays the way that it is, which at this point in time is essentially college football free agency, I think you're going to see less and less of the, the movement we saw this past season when it comes to the portal. And the reason why I say that is maybe less and less big names jumping in the portal, which I think we've seen to a degree here. I think it's going to dwindle down even further. Now, the caveat here, there's a percentage of players that are going to go to their collective or go to their powers that be in the NIL sphere and say, hey, listen, I need this much money to stay here. There's going to be a lot of schools and a lot, a lot of those people that just say, well, we, we appreciate that you value yourself to that degree. But unfortunately, the way my check-ins and my savings work, we, we can't meet those needs for you. We can't check that box for you. And so when that happens, they'll jump in the portal. That's going to happen. But I think, again, going, going further, there's going to be a lower percentage of that happening with a lot of these players. The reason why I say that is we're going to see a lot more of these NIL funds, a lot more of the money given to roster retention because right now I think you're hearing a lot of wild things when it comes to how much different players are getting to sign with different schools and you know how much money is going to, to the high school level and you'll still see some of that for these big damn guys but if I'm a head coach or if I'm a you know a, a NIL decision maker do I want my money going to a four-star recruit who you know probably has some promise and we have big plans for and we like him a lot or do I want it going to that receiver who was our number one guy last year who is going to probably have a great NFL future and probably going to be a big part of our offense this upcoming season and would leave if given the right amount of money somewhere else? 
I think it's a no-brainer. It goes to the ladder. And I think the coaches and players, or not players so much, but players in the NIL space, are going to feel the same way. So the portal will still be crazy. It'll, it'll still be nuts. But when it comes to retaining players, we're going to see a lot more funds given to keeping those guys on your roster and a lot less of that money given to the high school level. So all that's to say here, yes, the portal will still have some churn. Yes, I'm sure you'll still see guys north of, you know, north of a, a thousand players in the portal because just the grass is always greener is a human condition and we're going to always have to deal with that. But with that being said, I would be surprised if we see the same churn as we have these last couple of seasons going forward. This is a good one here from, from uh, the Ian Fritz show. He asks, how do you view the 12-team playoff? This is, this is dangerous water we're treading into here. Uh, he says, is it giving more value or taking away more value? And Ian, that's a great question. I think a lot of this just depends on your priorities, right? Like, as with anything, it depends on what you care about when it comes to this sport. For me personally, I love and adore and cherish the regular season of college football. I love waking up on a day in September and knowing that the college football playoff picture will look very different and some teams' playoff chances may be dashed based on what happens on that Saturday. In this 12-team format, you will still see some Saturdays like that, but you'll see a lot more of those Saturdays happen in late October, early November. And again, if that's what you enjoy, more power to you. For me, it's all about every single Saturday, meaning as much as humanly possible. Speaking to Ohio State and Michigan, that rivalry that they have, and it's been for a playoff spot more or less the last couple of years, I love that. I think that's special. We got to be in Columbus, Ohio two years ago when they played Michigan. You could, I mean, the palpable buzz that was within the shoe that day. That was special, man. And so that rivalry will always mean more to those people than anything else in the college football landscape. That, that, that will always be the most important Saturday for both sides of that rivalry and rivalries alike across the country. But what I'm trying to say here is that's going to be turned down a little bit in terms of national attention. Like, watching Ohio State-Michigan, if you're a casual fan, for a playoff spot? Yeah, okay, maybe I'll sit down and give that a few hours. Watching it for a seed? I don't know. So, what? I don't really care to, like, try and keep people watching our sport, just so we're clear. Like, I think the people that are about college football are about college football, and we love that. But I'm just saying the stakes being turned down, I'm not as huge a fan on. Now, to answer your question, full disclaimer, we are all in on this. All right? It's like... You know, when when the family makes a move, you're moving from one city to the other or one state to the other, like you'll have your opinion on it. You'll push back on it. But at the end of the day, the option is either leave your family or move with your family. We're choosing to move with our family here. That is college football. So we're all in on this. We weren't huge fans of the move. We thought where we were was fine, but we're making the move. Now, what I would say here is as it pertains to the value of the 12-team playoff and what it gives to the sport. Again, I think it's it really is pros and cons, and there's probably a lot of gray area baked into this. But I would just say more isn't always more. Like the key thing you hear from a lot of different people is, well, hey, if you love football, you get more football. You get more meaningful games. You get you know early December and, and late November. That'll be more meaningful football. I hear you. And yes, those will be phenomenal and absolutely 110% we will watch. Heck, I'll be transparent. It's going to be great for business. It's going to be great for this channel. I promise you. But at the exact same time, more isn't always more. Would you be excited if I told you the Super Bowl is going from one game to a seven game series? You'd say that's ridiculous. Why? Because the Super Bowl is a mega event and we love tuning in knowing that four quarters going to determine the champion. 
if I said it was a seven-game series, you'd say, well, well, that's it's a little bit strange. I don't know if I love that. Why? We get more football. You get more of a good thing. More isn't always more when it comes to this landscape. I would also say this, though. The playoff will be incredible. Like, as much as I'm saying more isn't always more, I 100% see folks that say, well, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to see more matchups. I do see all the benefits. I promise you. I am, I am not at this point in time trying to push back and tell you that we shouldn't have, you know, the 12-team the playoff and we're leaving the sport because of it. No, of course not. It's going to make for some incredible matchups. And I think when I look at the, one of the key benefits here of the 12-team playoff, can we just all kind of be real here for a second? TCU should have never been in, in, in the national championship game against Georgia. And that's not to say they didn't earn their way there. That's not to say that they did not deserve to play in that game that season. But like the, the gap was so wide between TCU and Georgia in that game that a lot of us come fourth quarter were like, man, is it too late to get Michigan in there? Is it, is it too late to see if we, if we can't get Ohio State a rematch with Georgia for the national title game? Why? Because that four-team playoff format allowed TCU to find their way into a two-game tournament, have a great day against Michigan, and then meet their fate in Georgia. But what we're going to happen here with the, with the 12-team playoff, you're not going to see as many of those. So we're going to see more incredible national title games is kind of my point here. Because TCU, if you put them in a 12-team playoff, they might win one game. They might win two games. They would not get past the entirety of that field. This is not me talking that on TCU. I just think it's a helpful illustration for one of the benefits of this 12-team playoff. Now, it may lend itself to the hottest team making their way into that top four, making their way into the title game. But I just think overall, the quality of title game that we're going to get here in the future, that'll be awesome. So no pushback there. Again, so is it taking away value? Is it adding value? I think it just depends on what you care about when it comes to college football. So again, if the family's moving, we're moving with them. And we will be happy when we get there. and We will enjoy it. It'll be great for business. But as a whole, I personally liked how we had it. And I love the way that the regular season means as much as possible right now. So it'll be great. We're here for it. But I hope we haven't been unclear as to where we stand on this 12-team playoff. Hey, again, appreciate everybody tuned in live. You could do two things. One, like the video, little thumbs up icon under the picture to subscribe to the channel. So we got our guy Trey Yannity here in the stew. And Trey's, Trey's flight was canceled last night from Fort Lauderdale to Nashville. Uh, Trey, quick check in. You slept in the airport last night. We got back from Houston. You got back from Houston this morning. Uh, how we feeling, brother? How, how are vibes? Vibes are high, J.D. I mean, we crowned a champion, and, uh, you know, we talked about it a lot throughout our trip in Houston, but uh, the new year maybe starts on January the 1st. I think our true mm. new year is this year, January the 9th. So, happy new year to you, J.D. Happy new year. Happy new year to everybody out there in the college football world. Um, vibes are extremely high because we have a new year of college football uh, coming off of an incredible college football playoff. J.D., uh, real quick before you get back to the show. I love it. What was your favorite part of Houston? Man, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I thought there was... So we have, we have a little, little uh, all-access segment that I forgot to preview at the top of this show. Talking through media days, talking through the game. I just think being able to be at a spot where all the action was. Because typically, if we go to a game, whether it's noon, whether it's night, whatever time it is, 
you're always kind of trying to keep track of what else is going on across the college football world. On that day, it was like, this is the show. This this is the only show in town. This is the only game that's going on that, that matters right now. Like, we're locked in. This This is it. So I think, like... The fact that there was so much buzz around that event and being able to be right in the middle of it, dude, that that was cool. You, you have a favorite? You have a favorite moment there from uh, from Houston? Uh, I, I'll have to think about it. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but real quick, I want to apologize. I probably looked like a very scary human being in the airports that uh, you know we ventured throughout this morning. So big thank you to everybody for uh, for helping us get back here, JD. So huge. many fine folks there. Absolutely huge, man. Well, I, I appreciate that, Trey. And again, I uh, that was the lead I meant to jump in with this morning was happy new year hey if it's if it's um a resolution you got on the table you can really start that now because january 9 january 10 whatever you want yeah i guess january 9 because i'm thinking my, my days are all mixed up from our travel but you got january. any resolutions now that we have started this new year JD? oh man you know I, I need to probably sit down and really really think about it. You, do you have any uh, i think i'm going to stop doubting the michigan wolverines that's mm. number one uh but we'll mm. go from there that's a good one i think a lot of people will uh We'll hopefully get on board with that thought as well. I'd love to read, read some more books. I'd love to get 12 books this year. I think that'd be ideal. So, But yeah, Trey Yannity slept in the airport, now here producing the show. So big shouts to Trey. Big shouts to him getting it done. Again, like the video if you have not already. Do it for Trey. Do it for Trey. The guy slept, I'm sure, near Terminal E last night. And he's here producing the show. So big shouts to Trey. All right, let's keep on rolling here. Also, a little bit later in the show, going to give a little bit of some, some all-access stories from our time in Houston from media days and interactions that we had with uh, some good folks that are part of the Michigan Wolverines program to what we saw post-game from Washington to some uh, some fans that we saw at the game that brought the juice and then some. So make sure you're in for that again. Make sure you like the video. All right, let's get to this right now. Uh, Hugh Freeze will be calling the offense for Auburn in 2024. And I think based on what happened in the last couple of days with Philip Montgomery being fired, it, you could probably see this coming a little bit, but it was very obvious that there was a problem with the Auburn offense. Like they scored 24 points a game. Some of that you pin on personnel, like, hey, Peyton Thorne and what he wasn't able to do pushing the ball downfield last year. There's very obviously a governor there. But at the end of the day, like the results are the results and there needs to be a change. And so for me with Hugh Freeze, I'm sitting here saying, all right, good, good for him seeing there's a problem. And with his familiarity with the situation at Auburn, with him being as dialed in as possible to his football program, I think that he's saying, okay, I don't see this getting a ton better. And if it's not going to get better, it's got to be on me. Okay, like that's the other thing. With the day and age of where we are in college football, with the transfer portal, the way coaches are flipping rosters, I think that's led to a lack of patience across the board with different administrations, with head coaches. And that's not me here sitting here and saying that Hugh Freeze is somehow on the hot seat. I actually have a ton of belief in what he's doing at Auburn. I think they're going to be in good shape for a long time as long as he's the head coach there. I think he's got a, a great trajectory for that program, the way they're recruiting, what he's done in terms of you know, how good he is schematically, the way they pushed Alabama, the way they pushed Georgia. I see some, some positivity there. The unfortunate reality here is the runway for head coaches in college football is not nearly as long as it used to be. So Hugh Freeze is saying, okay, we had one year not going the way that it should have gone, in his, in his opinion. We're going to change it. We're not going to wait and hope it gets better next year and see where we stand this time next year and burn two years. No, I see a problem. I think I'm the solution if I'm Hugh Freeze based on what he's done in his track record being a, a play caller in the SEC. 
We're making the pivot. And here's the other thing. Like, I think this is kind of personal for Hugh Freeze. And I don't mean personal by the nature of, of his relationship with his staff. I mean, it's personal for Hugh Freeze. It is upon him for Auburn to be successful offensively. Like, the way that I look at this, if I'm a steakhouse and I take pride in serving steak, but everyone that comes to my restaurant tells me the steak is pretty mid, I take that personally. Why? Because I do steak. That's my thing. That, that's always kind of been my bag. That's the same thing for Auburn right now with Hugh Freeze. He's an offensive guy. He takes pride in his offense being dynamic, being successful, being able to outscheme his opponent. That's what he's done. That's what you got when you hired him over to Auburn. That was one of the things that we saw them be successful and why they pushed Alabama and why they pushed Georgia was what the, the offensive game plan they had dialed up. So with that being said, he's like, all right, if, if we're not going to succeed here, it's going to be because I wasn't good enough calling plays for us. And so I kind of love that if I'm Hugh Freeze, because again, you saw the flashes last year. Yes, there's that ultimate black eye of the New Mexico State game for Auburn. I hear that. But with the way they've recruited, if you were to add an improved game plan, and we'll see what happens with their quarterback situation, if they go after someone in the portal, or if they're going to just ride with Peyton Thorne, and if they just say, okay, we'll be a run-heavy team. I don't know what that looks like. But I think you saw some things that encouraged you if you're an Auburn fan. Because again, it was year one. It was year one. And let's be real, you should have be Alabama. New Mexico State game hurts, but really should have beat Alabama. Auburn fans, they already know that. They don't want me even telling them that. They're like, hey, we tried to forget that and flush that and move on the next year. I understand. But I just think if that's year one, and that's what we're building off of, and Hugh Freeze didn't feel like he had the right personnel calling plays for him last year, how much better can they be going forward? So I love that he's taking action right now. I love that it's personal for him. I love that this is something that matters to him. And I think when it comes to Auburn, too, Hugh Freeze is their edge in the SEC. And what I mean by that is in football, and especially in this conference, you need to have your fastball to win the conference or to compete at a high level. Like Georgia in 2021, it was their defense. Historic, generational, whatever kind of label you want to throw on it, they were really good defensively. That was their edge. Last year for Alabama, they won the conference by leaning into who they were with Jalen Milrow offensively. Right, They found themselves being able to be a little bit more of a run-heavy team. Tommy Reese kind of dialed it up, and, and they got to be that team. That was their edge. Jayla Milrow running the football, that was their edge. I think for Auburn, their edge is the skins on the wall that Hugh Freeze has in the SEC. His success at Ole Miss. His success against these different teams this past season, quite honestly. like He is the edge, and so I think him now taking over full-time calling plays is them leaning into their edge. Now, this is twofold. You can have the right play drawn up. You can have the right scheme drawn up. But if you don't have the personnel to execute it, then we're, you know, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes at the end of the day, you know? And so I wonder if Peyton Thorne is going to be that guy. I think I still need to see it, quite honestly. Um, but overall, if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm encouraged. You got a coach who's not messing around. You got a coach who's saying, listen, we are going to win now. This is not a rebuild. This is not a let's see where we are in two years. This is a we got to win now. 12-team playoff opens the door up a little bit more so for multiple SEC teams to get in there, and we'll see. We'll see about Auburn, but I'm excited to see what they look like under Hugh Freeze, the Hugh Freeze offense. I think that'll be a lot of good good stuff going on there. Um, hey, Trey, how do you feel about Auburn and uh, and Hugh Freeze now? Hugh Freeze basically just telling everybody, hey, listen, I'm, I've been the captain, but I'm definitely the captain now, call and plays. 
Well, you know, I think that was the uh, the vibe from the jump with you, Freeze. Right. He is a true program manager. Some guys, you know, I want to say they they run a program from the shadows, but they're a little less, uh, you know, in front of the public eye. CEO. Um, Less of a CEO. Hugh Freeze, by all accounts, is that. And that's what you need in, you know, the modern college football game. Look at Dabo Sweeney. Say what you want about his his ability as an X's and O's coach. He's a program manager. He knows mm. how to build a program, knows how to run a program, knows how to hire the right guys uh, and put those guys in the right positions. That's any great organization is, is um, you know, able to do that. I think Hugh Freeze is going to be able uh, to do that at a high level. You know, is Peyton Thorne your guy, though, here? I, I think coordinators, coaches, that's all fine and good. Can Peyton Thorne win you some football games? Because, J.D., that Auburn team played here in Nashville, just down the street at Nissan Stadium. Uh I don't trust that as my quarterback if that is the case for next season. I don't know how you feel. It's a tough look, man. It's a tough look. We did, however, make some money on prize picks given the less total there for Auburn in the passing department. But even so, even so, I, I think you're exactly right. Like, you can have whatever scheme you want. You can try and account for your personnel as much as you can. But at the end of the day, especially in a Hugh Freeze offense, I think you got to have a quarterback to maximize that, which isn't saying a ton based on the way that offensive football is played right now. Pretty much everyone's got to have a quarterback to be in that Tier 1 level. Man, I really think Caden Salter going back to Liberty, I think that was uh, that was, a, was, a, was a tough blow for the Auburn morale, at least, when it comes to that, that fan base. You had to think that there was the connection between Hugh Freeze and Caden Salter at Liberty, and he jumps in the portal. You're like, okay, hey, this is this is it. Now this is going to be our guy next year, and then it ends up not happening. So unfortunate, unfortunate for uh, the good folks on the Plains. But fortunate, they're moving, I believe, in the right direction. And uh, Hugh Freeze is going to be calling the plays in 2024. As we mentioned at the top of the show, too, Ron Roberts, it sounds like, will not be the D.C. next year. So Hugh Freeze is saying, listen, 6-6, six and six, yeah, better than last year for y'all. Not good enough. Not good enough, going to go ahead and kick it up a notch, Emerald style. So, excited to see what happens there. Let's move on. Let's move, uh, move right along here to uh, a new segment that I want us to get into here as we move into the winter period of the college football calendar. And this is something that they do across the board in the college football world, mostly with players. At the end of every single season, whether it's after the bowl game, whether it's before the bowl game, you have what's called an exit meeting. An exit meeting essentially is you sitting down with your position coach or the head coach, and you have just a transparent conversation about how they see you within the program. So I got to thinking, okay, hey, we're a program of our own here. We are fortunate and blessed enough to talk about this sport every single day. We talk a lot about these head coaches. Let's kind of have an exit meeting with these head coaches. We're not calling it exit meetings because that sounds like somebody's losing their job, which we're not going to you know, obviously traffic in in this segment. I want to do these uh, and call them hard count meetings. So the first hard count meeting, we're taking ourselves out to Athens, Georgia, and kind of getting a good, uh, good lay of the land for where Kirby Smart is as it pertains to Georgia. Because the last couple of years, the standard has been very, very clear. They are the back-to-back national champions going into this season. And so the expectation was Georgia is not being hunted by anybody, per Kirby Smart. We are, we are still in chase mode. We are still in hunt mode. And I think that was true. And the fact they didn't win the national title this year, I think, obviously, was missing the mark for Georgia. Didn't win the SEC. Missing the mark for Georgia. Missing the mark for Kirby Smart and company. And so as we move into this 12-team playoff model, I think there are some folks that are starting to buy the idea that, well, is Georgia going to stay Georgia if they have to play more games when they get to that 12-team model and more teams get a shot at them? Is Georgia going to stay Georgia with the new SEC at OU and Texas in there? They got to play Bama next year, does Georgia. 
here's the facts. Georgia, if they had been in Houston, which they weren't, just so we're clear, but if Georgia had been in Houston and played Michigan, I wholeheartedly believe they would have been favored. Georgia was not in that game in Houston because they lost one game by three points in Atlanta, Georgia, to a really well-coached Alabama team run by Nick Saban with one of the best players in college football this past season, Jalen Milrow, who was playing really well at that point in time. Also worth noting, a fact in that is Georgia was dinged up at some key spots. Guys that played, but just quite honestly, weren't full health, and we could see that. Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers, two guys that contribute to that team in an enormous way, especially offensively, and Georgia suffered because of their lack of being full strength, to be honest. Georgia, again, this is a fact, in Vegas right now, is the favorite to win the national title in 2024. So when we take an all-encompassing look at this thing in Athens, Georgia is a unit of a program. Like the standards and the culture that Kirby Smart has in place there are second to none. Championship habits, championship practice periods. You hear about Bloody Tuesday and how they beat the absolute heck out of each other every single week, even during the season. They say that that is some ways more difficult than the game that they play. So what I'm trying to say here is the machine and the process in place at Georgia is built to give you championship results. And that's not me just sort of saying that because it sounds good on a YouTube video. I'm saying that because we've seen that given their track record two of the last three seasons. On top of that, you can have standards, you can have culture, you can have all of that. But to some degree, you still got to go and play the game. Well, Georgia, they have uh, nothing but top three classes since 2020 on their roster right now. I go back to 2020 because going back further than that, we're probably, you know, going to, uh, you know, guys that aren't even playing college football anymore. But the bottom line here is they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of talent. And yes, the portal's a thing. Yes, guys are going to the portal to try and find somewhere else to play and to find, you know, a better situation for them. Georgia's still going to have, I would say, as talented a two deep as anybody else in the country. Why? Because guys know... If I do my time at Georgia on the practice squad or, you know, with the twos or whatever it ends up being, if, if I wait my turn, it just takes one good year. It just takes one good year to go and have my NFL draft stock where I want it to be. So guys are bought into the journey at Georgia, the development at Georgia. This is a big word you hear a lot with coaches and with, you know, great leaders alike. The process at Georgia, second to none. And so you have the talent. You have the process, you have the culture, you have the standards. And so when we look going forward now to what we were talking about with the 12-team model and how maybe that, that could impact Georgia and their chance at going for another back-to-back -back run or, or whatever we're going to say with their national championship aspirations, a lot of folks saying that the 12-team model is going to hurt Georgia. Y'all, I think the exact opposite. I think when you go to a 12-team playoff model, Georgia's only going to be in better position. Why? How many times have we seen Georgia have multiple bad days in a season to the point where it's cost them the game. This past year, it was one. Does anybody really want to see Georgia in a playoff model this past season? If Georgia were to find their way in there and we see on Selection Sunday that four spot flashes up with a, with a G logo on there, I think a lot of teams would say, oh boy, they're in the building. And so now with Georgia, with this 12-team model, a couple of things happen. One, during the regular season, they have much more margin for error. So if they win the SEC or not, I have a difficult time believing we won't see Georgia in that 12-team field next year. I think that's inevitable. But when they get into that 12-team dance, when they're in the building and they have a chance to where, okay, sights are set on this thing, 
we win our games and we're the national champs. We're, we're in the building now. And they can still lose a game prior to that whole thing. Like they can, they can drop a game to Bama in September and still find their way into the dance. Like that's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous because Kirby Smart takes losses and uses them as ammunition. We've seen that now. Whenever they are coming off of a loss or, or they're a little bit down, or they haven't played their best, they usually bounce back with some force. So one, the margin for error they have is crazy. Two, the 12-team model is really going to peel back the layers on some of the true depth that these teams have. And Georgia, again, they have more depth, I believe, or as much depth as anybody else in the country. That's what it's going to come down to when it comes to this 12-team model. If you're winning the title, you have the depth to do it. When it comes to how Georgia is built as well, I want to make sure we say this. They are as multiple of a team as they need to be to win the national title. And that's going to be more important here as we move into this new era of college football. We've seen teams kind of be able to play one style and have the best day on the right day and win the national championship. Georgia, if you were to throw them out there on the field with an Oregon from this past season and they got to win a shootout, they'd be fine. If you threw them out there with Michigan this past year and they got to go mano y mano in the trenches, they got to hold up there into the bargain in that physical kind of game, they'd be fine. The fact that they can shape shift so well, and I think that'll be the case again next season with Carson Beck coming back, the way they attacked the portal with Trevor Etienne and Colby Young, like Georgia's multiple attacks is going to favor them when they get in this 12-team dance. That's going to pay off because I don't know that every single team in that 12-team model next year will be able to shapeshift as well as them. And that's going to be a factor, mark my words, when it comes to this time next year. So as much as it feels disappointing and probably a little bit frustrating to not have won the SEC and not won the national title for the third year in a row because you set the standard way up here, Georgia's going to be fine. Because the way that Kirby Smart has built this thing from a roster standpoint and just quite frankly their traits of being one of the most disciplined, one of the most competitive, relentless operations out there, they are going to be fine because that's not changing because Kirby Smart is still the head coach there. So let me know how you feel about Georgia moving into this 12-team model. Again, I think they're just going to be a wagon, and I think the margin for error for them is just only going to help them in the long term. I don't think Georgia's going to have multiple bad Saturdays in a row. So good luck to everybody else. Hey, appreciate everybody tuned in live. Make sure you like the video while you're here. Uh, we got the chance to be at a lot of these different um, games across this college football calendar. Um, so let us know where you're headed this upcoming season as it pertains to your plans next season. We're kind of taking a peek at the calendar already. Trey and I, after we, we finished up with our live show yesterday, we started thinking, okay, where, where can we go next year? We got to thinking like, hey, Ann Arbor for Texas. I believe that's week two of the college football season or it's very early on. That'll be phenomenal. You got, uh, I think it's Georgia and Texas playing. I think that's in Austin next year. That'll be incredible. So Texas, obviously, a lot of big games. Uh, USC, LSU, and Vegas to start the year. Let us know what games you got circled as it pertains to the college football calendar next year. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate y'all adding to the conversation. All right, as it pertains to travel plans, though, before we do that, I want to get to uh, our travel we just had this past week being able to be in Houston and one of the best parts about having a job like this where we get to sit down on camera and just have a conversation back and forth with y'all is when we go on the road we get to come back here and tell y'all about the experiences we had that maybe the camera wasn't rolling for and, and so I mean just like the overall 
access we got to have to these teams was phenomenal. I mean, the event itself, the college football playoff, the folks that put it on, man, knocked it out of the park in all respects. Our trip started where we got to media days. That was kind of the first thing on the docket. Got in there Friday night, uh, Saturday morning was media days. And I'll tell you what, man, uh, we, we are fortunate enough to have some people that are in the football world watch the show, and that's always a, a really good encouragement for us to know, okay, people that are involved in this thing at a very close level are either agreeing or at the very least watching to where they have an opinion on what we're saying. So we always appreciate that. Uh, some folks that play at Michigan, we got to link up with that media days and just kind of have a back and forth and say, you know, hey, we like the show. That's a good time. We appreciate that. And um, the funny story here, we're chopping it up, I guess, during their, towards the end of their, their media period. And one of the players says, well, hey, you know, we appreciate you've kind of you've kind of rode with us for the entirety of the year. And so my first thought was, OK, well, they so they must think that like we, we have a, a soft spot for Michigan or we favor Michigan and just full transparency. I love what Michigan did this year. They were absolutely phenomenal. I love the way Jim Harbaugh runs things. I thought the Connor Stallions investigation stuff was totally overblown in terms of how it correlated to their success. And so my knee jerk instinct was. Well, I got to make sure that he knows that, like, I'm not like a, a homer in some way, shape, or form for Michigan. And again, this is a player on Michigan. And I said, yeah, you know, I've, I've loved what y'all done this year. And just put my foot in my mouth and said, but I actually picked Washington. And so there was just this awkward five-second pause between me and a handful of Michigan guys. And I was like, why did I just say that? Why did I just say that? I have no idea why I told this team as they're about to go play for the national championship that I picked the other team. I think for some reason I thought maybe someone would chime in and say, no, no, he picked Washington. So I tried to just out myself. Uh, one of the more embarrassing moments I've had in my career to this point, but thankfully Michigan was uh, very kind about that. So it was, uh, we, we, we dodged the, the total awkward bullet there, but overall it was still an awkward thing as a whole. I think it, I think it turned out okay, but uh, that was just a hilarious happening. Uh, the also... The interesting thing about being at an event like that, you're able to be with so many other people that are in the media, which is so cool because people from different corners of the country, whether it's Nashville or whether they're in Atlanta or whether they're out there on the West Coast, like you had a bunch of people all in one spot. And the question you're asking the entirety of the week is, well, hey, who'd you pick in the game? Like, that's kind of the question you open with. You got Washington, you got Michigan. Oh, you picked this team. Great. Um, throughout the course of that week, the answer you would get was the team they picked, and it was quickly followed up with, but honestly, I don't know. So, like, the media the entirety of the week was in a blender. Like, myself, I picked Washington, but after we left media days, one, I was embarrassed, but two, after seeing how loose they were, being on the field pregame and seeing just how confident that group was, you would have no way of knowing the stakes of that game based on how they were carrying themselves. There was zero anxiety. There was zero, you know, high high strung kind of feel to them as an outfit like so all that's to say I picked Washington going in there and then every interaction we had with Michigan going forward was like hey man I don't know I don't know if that's the I don't know if that's the right side of this thing now obviously we all know how it happened on on that Monday night but what I'm trying to say here is overall whoever you talk to Yes, they had a pick, but the feel, I think, truly was a toss-up uh, across the board. Getting to, getting to meet a lot of y'all who were out there was a blast. Um, different people at the airport we got to connect with. Appreciate y'all watching the show. We genuinely cannot thank y'all enough for the way that you've added to this whole program and this whole operation. Um, but one fan that we got to meet pregame on the field 
we're kind of just just taking laps like that's what you do and, and or that's what I've done at least whenever we're able to be on the field somewhere is just let's try and take in as much of this arena stadium crowd feel whatever take all of that in as much as possible for me that's just kind of doing laps around the whole thing and we had one Michigan fan who was near the the Michigan end zone where they were warming up and just kind of shouted and said hey watch the show appreciate it and then immediately lifts his shirt up and so at first I'm like what is going on like where are we headed here kind of take a second to gather myself and I see across his chest is written free Connor Stallions and to me that was one just a memorable moment of the entire event two it gave me a pretty good gauge I feel like for how Michigan fans are viewing the whole Connor Stallions thing like I think there's one feeling within the, the fan base that hey that put us in a bad spot that put a lot of people on a certain opinion of that we are just cheaters and this should have an asterisk next to us. I think there's another part of this Michigan fan base that feels like, okay, what Connor Stallions did or allegedly did is not a good look, didn't actually probably impact our national championship race that we put together here. But I think there is like a little bit of this feeling of like, yeah, but anybody who goes to the lengths that he did who wrote a multiple-page manifesto about Michigan football, who has as die-hard as it comes for our program, like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we feel all right about you. So I just thought that was hilarious, and seeing the dude have it written on his chest, the national championship game, that was, that was electric in every sense. Uh, last couple of stories here for you from the game itself. Seeing Blake Corum pregame, that was a cool moment. Um, he trots out of the tunnel. And everyone's got their camera on him. He just takes a knee, says a prayer, takes it all in, and trots out to the field. And once he got out there, sometimes when guys run out, you see them get super hyped, and they start doing drills right away. Like Blake Corum trotted out there and just sort of took his helmet off and took it all in. Like you could tell this was a dude who was about to play his very last game at a place that he loves on the biggest stage the sport has to offer, and he just wanted to remember all of that. We talked to him during the week as well and just asked him, hey, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? And I have to think what was going through his mind pregame was what he had done at Michigan, what he was about to do in that game. And again, I think there was probably just an enormous sense of, wow, this is it. Here we are. We're taking it all in. And again, that's me viewing this from a third party. But that was just cool to kind of see one of the best players that school has ever had take in his final moments pregame before he went crazy and won, obviously, uh, offensive player of the game. Now, the unfortunate part of this thing, anytime there is extreme joy on one side of the field, there's complete disappointment on the other side of the field in a national title game. And so as we were going down post-game to try and, you know, one, do our videos and do our content for y'all as soon as the clock hit triple zeros, confetti's falling, we're getting down there, and the tunnel that I'm walking down to get to the field is that same tunnel that Washington players are walking out of. So there's one side of you that's like, man, I got to get to the field. The other side of you is like, I don't want to, you know, disrespect this moment these guys are having right now. They just had an incredible season, made an incredible run, however many one-score games. You can tell that this team meant the world to everybody on that roster. And so they're kind of having the somber moment. And so I'm kind of taking a second to let some guys walk through. But out of the corner of my eye, there's a player sitting down with a jersey on, but he's not playing. He just, just has the jersey on, uh, not in pads. And he's kind of dapping the guys up as they walk through, encouraging them, kind of consoling them. Take a closer look. It's Will Rogers, who just transferred in from Mississippi State. I mean, is in the top five of virtually every statistical category at Mississippi State. 
And he's, he's already kind of taken on that leadership role of like, hey, we're going to be okay. Hey, we're going to be good. And just the fact that someone like Will Rogers, who wasn't with this team the entirety of the year, was not around for the Oregon game, was not around for the Pac-12 championship game, wasn't able to compete in, in the game on Monday, is still already sort of trying to become a part of that team in different ways and show that leadership. I was really impressed by that. I thought that was a cool moment. And I'll say this too, with Kalen DeBoer running the show there, Washington is going to be more than fine when it comes to their future. So a couple of stories from our national title game. Again, we appreciate everybody that we met out there. Appreciate everybody that took care of us out there. And uh, yeah, it was an absolute blast. And it was one of those, really one of those weeks, one of those events where you get to just kind of remind yourself how cool it is that we get to talk about college football for a job. And we appreciate y'all making that possible. So thank you again for that. And thank you for an incredible, incredible season. Uh, so again, we've been, we've been kind of wheeling and dealing this morning. Trey got in this morning. I got in late last night. Trey, just full transparency. We, we have an Axia ad read right now, or are we, are we on to the next? We have an Axia ad read, if okay. you like it here. Let's talk about uh, some watches, and while we're on it, I think it's fitting here, J.D. Uh, how about a national championship watch? How that sounds that phenomenal. That sounds phenomenal. So I took mine off this morning for the first time, just because we've been on the road. But, I mean, tell you what, Axia, as I announced last week, is a new exciting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is probably the best-kept secret in college football. Axia Time is the only watch that is company-licensed with the college football playoff, and they've created an heirloom-quality, ultra-custom timepieces for all the teams that are part of the 2024 CFP. And today, I'm excited to reveal their national champions design for the Michigan Wolverines. The quality design and attention to detail, absolutely unreal. They've also partnered with Coach Jim Harbaugh to offer a limited-edition box set with his autograph. So if you're a watch person, you will check out the specs and quickly realize that these watches are a great deal for the level of quality and detail that you're getting. So if you don't know a lot about Swiss-made mechanical watches, you might think they're expensive, but trust me, you do your homework, I either do my homework, and they are a great deal. You can check them out with their Natty design, uh, the national championship design, that is, at axiatime.com. That is A-X-I-A time.com. And for our listeners and all the all that watch the show, people of the program, use code JD100, just JD100, no periods in between there, to get $100 off any fully priced watch. That's JD100. So check them out at axitime.com, axitime watches that tell so much more than just time. And again, we appreciate them bringing the absolute juice with those designs. How about that partner with Jim Harbaugh? A little autograph on there for you. That's big time. That is big That's time. big time for the folks in the maize and blue. That's the third Harbaugh that is now a champion. And uh, J.D., you're being too humble. I know you're a Swiss mechanical watch expert there. So uh, <laughs> feel free to go in a little bit further next time. But check that out, guys. I think it's what, J.D. 100 there is our code? J.D. 100. Yeah, that's, that is a praise that I do not deserve when it comes to being a Swiss mechanical watch expert. I am you're not. Into- but, and I think that goes to show, like, I'm not an expert. I have no gauge for, like, how to, how to like, evaluate different watches. But, like, when they sent us that, dude, it's, it's awesome. It's it's something that even someone like myself is able to appreciate from the quality to the way that it looks, the fact that it's college football centric. I mean, they, they knocked it out of the park, man. Knocked it out of the park. Uh, hey, Trey, what do you say we just kind of peruse the live chat here really quick, answer a few of the questions from the good people that are dialed in on this beautiful Wednesday, uh, January 10th? 
I think that is a beautiful idea, JD. I don't know where you want to uh, start here. I see a lot of FSU today. I've mm. seen kind of a lot of FSU. Tennessee has had an undertone on this show as well. Which we appreciate. Um, if there's anything you wanted to get to here, I'll look for a question. But no, why, that's great. Uh, that's great. Let's, let's talk a little bit about FSU here because I talked about sneaky teams that could make their way into the college football national championship race this upcoming season. And I talked about Miami. I talked about Clemson. I think Florida State is absolutely in position to once again win the ACC and once again find their way into that college football playoff conversation. The difference here, though, in the 12-team playoff, you're not getting left out. In fact, if you win the ACC, you're going to have an auto bid, I believe, to the first uh, or through the first round with that buy. But my big question is how DJ Uyunglele translates in relation to what that offense will be next year. They also lose some key playmakers now. No Jaheim Bell, no Keon Coleman. We saw what he meant to that team. Uh, Johnny Wilson, he's gone in the league as well. So I'm curious to see how do they replace some of the firepower they had offensively last year? And then also you plug in a new quarterback who, quite frankly, people have questions about with what he did at Clemson previously. Now, we, we've kind of gone on record here, Trey, and said we don't think he was the problem. Now, was he part of the solution at, at Clemson when he was the guy there? That's a fair objection to have. But I think if Mike Norvell takes him as your quarterback, uh, it's fair to be excited and fair to have some pretty, expect, pretty solid expectations about what DJU will be as your quarterback. So I don't mention them as a sneaky contender for a couple of reasons. One, if they do win the ACC, I don't think there's anything sneaky about it by nature of what they did this past season. And two, uh, I'm curious to see what that firepower looks like offensively by nature of all what they have lost uh, at the skill position. So Florida State, man, we appreciate them being dialed in. We got a lot of content, content for you here uh, throughout the duration of winter, spring, all the way through. And uh, hopefully, Trey, I say this, I say this with uh, a lot of hope in my voice. Hopefully we get our way out to Tallahassee for next football season, man. Yeah, that, uh, that garnet and gold pops, J.D. We saw him in Clemson, South Carolina this year. Mm. Uh, Clemson was a team you mentioned as well, along with Miami and Florida State. It's January the 10th, J.D. If you had to make an ACC pick out of those yeah. three, who do you got? That's a great question, because we did this exercise. I want to say it might have been pre-signing day, post-signing day. What, it was, it was, the lines are, are very blurred in terms of There's where they were on the calendar. But I remember we sat down in there, and I was like, who do I think is winning the ACC? And this is when Florida State and Miami were after Cam Ward. I was like, I think Cam Ward wins the ACC. I think wherever Cam Ward ends up at, if it's either of those schools, um, he is good enough to propel them. Now, obviously, Cam Ward has gone to the NFL. If Talia Tagovailoa goes to Miami, if, and that's a major if, if he goes to Miami, I would pick Miami today. Just been nature of, I don't know what Florida State's going to be. Clemson, I, I, I haven't seen a ton at the skill positions to get me excited. So we'll see. Now, if he doesn't go to Miami, I will go with the quote-unquote safe pick and go Florida State. So a little, little bit chalky there. I, I don't know about Clemson yet, man. I don't know. We have them as a sneaky team because Kate Klubnick can make a big leap and they're really, they're, they're backs against the wall. But like, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know. We got a lot of time, JD. And, you know, this will obviously change a good bit as well. Before we leave Florida State, Will the Seminoles be a member of the ACC uh, by the time, or, you know, either way they will be this season, but will they still be moving forward uh, by the time they kick off this year? That's a great question. That is a really good question. By the time they kick off this season, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. I'm going to go ahead and say yes, just because there are so many moving pieces with other sports to get ironed out. And it sounds like if something were to happen, I think we would have heard rumblings about it by now. 
but we say this a lot, like the room is so small with people that actually know what's going on when it comes to the conference realignment stuff. And so we only get what they want us to get out of it when it comes to the narrative and the rumors and stuff. So I think long-term, give me, give me two years, I think Florida State's out of the ACC. Next year, that feels a little bit soon to make a move like that. You have a, you have a take on that, though? You have a feel? It's coming, JD. It is coming. most it is. certainly it's coming. Inevitable. Um, who knows what conferences in general look like in the next uh, short little bit here, but I would be surprised um, if they can work it out the right way. If Florida State uh, you know, is a member of the ACC for, I'd say, even more than one year yeah. uh, after this one. And media days was when we found out Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Maybe ACC media days in July is where uh, we'll find out about Florida State hey, this maybe year. Maybe so. Maybe that's the day where the news drops. It seems like media day, something's always... Something's always kind of simmering. It's talking uh, season. What do you say? Or sorry, you're, you're going to say something. I just cut you off. No, no, I'm saying that's talking season. So I think that's when uh, those conversations will. will it is absolutely talking season, man. Speaking of talking season, what do you say we get to one more uh, thought here in the chat, one more question in the chat, and uh, we'll uh, we'll call it a Wednesday here for the good folks of the program. What do you say? Let's do it. I see uh, a lot of GBL, a lot of oranges okay. there, JD. Uh, with the new SEC here, I'm going to kind of combine a few of them. Uh, do you think Tennessee is in a better position, considering 12 teams make the playoff, their new schedule, their new conference, are they in a better position now, the, the Nico era has begun, than they were a year ago right now? That's a great question. That's a phenomenal question. And it's tough because I have to put myself back in the mindset I had going into the season this past year. Because remember, we had just seen the Orange Bowl and saw Joe Milton deal the ball all over the field against Clemson, and there was a lot of excitement and momentum. So that can be true. And I think there's a similar amount of momentum with the Nico era going forward. Number one player in 2023. He looked great against a really good Iowa defense. So momentum, I think, is is in a similar spot. Not the same, but similar. The big thing for me, Trey, is just what you said. With the expanded playoff, if I'm a Tennessee fan, maybe the path to winning the SEC is a little bit more difficult by nature of no divisions and by nature of the fact that you had Oklahoma and Texas. But if my hope as a Tennessee fan is for us to hoist that hardware in Houston. Not, not in Houston. Hoist the same hardware they hoisted in Houston, hoisted in Atlanta this upcoming year, which I have to believe a lot of Tennessee fans would be in attendance for if they were to be in that game. Um, I think it really does come down to the fact that you don't have that Goliath standing in your way of a Bama or of a Georgia or of an LSU that would say, nope, sorry, you can't get in because you're not the SEC champ. Tennessee can lose, again, two games, maybe three, depending on which ones they are and how they look, and still find themselves in that 12-team model and at least be in the dance for a national championship. So, again, we, we, we uh, talk a lot about priorities here on this show, and based on your priorities, if you're a Tennessee fan, I think if you're thinking national championship, you're in a much better position than you were a year ago. Great question, Trey. Great thought. And uh, appreciate everybody dialed in the live chat, man. We had a, a good showing today. I understand day after the national championship – a lot of folks are saying the college football season is over. The games are over. The season's a year-round affair. So appreciate you, Trey, just jumping in here with, I'm sure, if, if any sleep, very, very minimal sleep, but uh, sleeping at whatever terminal you did last night, getting in here, producing the show, and uh, making it happen for the good folks of the program, man. Not, not a problem in the slightest, J.D. Thank you, as always, for having me here on the program. I love getting to uh, just get the, the, the flavor of what's going on in our chat, where people are at. Uh, as we turn the corner to new college football season, and one more thing I have to say, 
just want to give a big thank you to all the athletic departments, uh, the people that, that run all this stuff behind the scenes, letting on three, letting us come, uh, you know, be a part of your game day experience, capture, uh, you know, all these different moments we got to be a part of this year. And, and a huge, I think more than uh, just about everybody, huge shout out to these student athletes, the J.J. McCarthy's, mm. Nico, Spencer Rattler, all these guys that allowed me to stick my camera right up in their face and, uh, you know, didn't go ahead and punch me there while they were at it so just big thank you to everybody what an amazing season we had here jd incredible season some incredible shots by you that we're going to get to use here going forward because there wasn't any punches thrown and if they had thrown a punch i I think we probably still could have used that b-roll but even so man i mean you being boots on the ground and getting after it here at these different i mean look at these shots ladies and gentlemen i mean you that's that's like you're there that's like you're at the event man trey way trey yanity getting after it there trey appreciate you brother and appreciate like you said all the all the people that allowed us to cover this sport the way that we did this year, and um, that's not stopping. We got a lot more in the future. Got some uh, some plans potentially for the spring. The bottom line is keep it locked right here at the On3 YouTube channel. This show, The Hard Count, not going anywhere. Okay, Live three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Follow me on the social channels at J.D. Piquel. One, to interact with the show. Two, to contribute to the conversation. Three, because that's a great place for us to kind of continue the conversation when we're not live and living color on the air hey we appreciate y'all we love y'all we're gonna keep this party rolling we'll see y'all next time